Welcome to Willow Park Church uh, online. We are so blessed that you've joined us as we continue on the hidden series. The way that we're understanding the way that God speaks to us and the way that God ministers to us. And I want to encourage you to keep pressing in and perhaps you haven't listened to the sermons or missed some. Can I encourage you to uh, take some time to, to listen and to connect and really see how you can deepen your life with Christ and find that hidden place with him. And also, let's keep praying as we move forward in this pandemic. We want to pray that God's presence and God's power will continue to work. And as we begin this service together, uh, let me pray right now. Father, thank you that we can celebrate your goodness. And Father, thank you that you are with us at this time. And we pray that as we step into the online worship and as we spend this time honouring you, wherever we might be at this moment, whether here in Kelowna, across Canada or around the world, Lord, I pray that a very clear sense of your word and your presence will come. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. And I pray as we worship now, come, speak, Encourage us, I ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. Enjoy the worship. Welcome, Willow Park Church. Lovely to have you join us today. We're going to start by celebrating. Our first two songs uh, are talking about Jesus calling us by name. So when, when you become a Christian, it's because God's called you by name. It's an individual invitation. So I want you to celebrate that with us. We're going to have some fun singing Glorious Day uh, from the get-go. So let's uh, enjoy this together. was 
thank you that your love has awoken us from death into life that because of your sacrifice you said come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls Lord I pray for those who are watching today and needing rest for their souls Father I pray that you would by your Holy Spirit, speak to them and reassure them that if they put their trust in you, you will not let them down. You are the solid rock on which they can build their life. Lord, I pray that you would wake our souls up to hunger and seek and thirst after you.
pray just that, Lord. We pray that your spirit would fall afresh on us. That where we have been neglectful in spending time with you, that you would nudge us back to dwelling in your presence. That when we have been going in the opposite direction, that you would turn us around and help us to start following in the right way again, the right paths, the ancient paths that you've already put in place in the Bible for us to follow. Holy Spirit, fall afresh on us this day for your glory and our good. Amen. What a way to finish the worship. A, a deep sense of the Holy Spirit as we reminded of his presence in our lives as we draw close to Christ. Drawing close to Christ is really what we want to celebrate and and connect. And that's why we take communion in these online services. Because we want to create a holy moment, wherever you are, where you can remember Jesus. Where you can remember his love. Where you can just remember his goodness. You know, this last uh, Wednesday was, of course, a remembrance uh, day. And at 11 o'clock, we all paused and we remembered those that had given so much for us. I wrote recently a little story in the uh, Courier about Remembrance Day. And it was a story about a group of young men from Liverpool called the Ginger Nuts. Now, why were they called that? Well, before they were sent overseas in the First World War, they went on a walking holiday through the Cumbrian Hills. And while they were away, they decided that they would remember each other and say a prayer every week, Sunday evening, at the exact time. Whether they were in the trenches in France or whether they were in North Africa, wherever they were, they were going to remember each other. What they would do would take a ginger biscuit, a ginger cookie, break it off, put it in their mouth and remember each other and say a prayer for each other. In fact, the home parish town where they came from, the parish church, they they gave out little cookies, ginger cookies to everybody in the parish to also join in thinking for the lads who were there fighting and protecting, and remembering them, and praying for them. Hmm. In a way, it was a kind of communion. And when we come together, we remember the greatest sacrifice, the greatest battle that has ever been won. And that was Christ, who died upon the cross to defeat sin. And when you defeat sin, what happens is, you defeat death. And when you defeat sin... You defeat the devil. And this is what happened when Christ died. So let's take our bread and Father, thank you for this bread. And we do remember that your body was broken for us. And so Lord, we take this bread and remember the body of Christ, which is broken for you.
And we take the cup, the blood of Christ, that takes away the sins of the world, and we drink it in remembrance. Thank you, Lord, for your great act of sacrifice. And for this moment where we can take the bread and the wine juice and remember your sacrifice that you gave. Amen. Well, enjoy your messages and may God speak to you through his words. I know he will. Thank you so much. Here is the Willow One News. Hello, Willow Park Church. My name is Courtney. Whether you're joining us from church online or one of our dwell gatherings, welcome and here's your family news. Ladies, you are invited to a special Christmas brunch happening on Saturday, December 5th at Church at 33. This will be a wonderful morning of fellowship, food, and fun, and the cost is $10 per person. Our guest speaker will be Kim Crow. Register today at willowparkchurch.com brunch. Child of Mine is a charity that we support as a church, and they do amazing work for children in India. Unfortunately, due to COVID, we are unable to host their annual fundraising banquet. Instead, they would like to invite you to a special online gathering on Friday, November 20th at 7 p.m. It's going to be a fun and meaningful time. Learn more about this event and sign up on the Child of Mine website at childofmine.ca events. If you are 55 plus, we would like to invite you to our monthly hymn sing, which will be happening this Wednesday, November 18th at 10 a.m. at Church at 33. If you would like to attend, please register today at willowparkchurch.com slash hymn. There is nothing that we love more than Christmas here at Willow Park Church, and this year we are giving the gift of Christmas to our community. There are three ways that you can get involved. The first way will be by filling stockings with gifts for people who are vulnerable and alone this Christmas. The second way will be by serving, and we will invite you to join in helping others in need. The third way will be through singing. We are currently working on a way to safely bring the sounds and music of Christmas to communities around Kelowna and Lake Country. Learn more about how you can get involved at willowparkchurch.com slash giftofchristmas. We have all faced challenges these last few months, but we are so encouraged to see God still moving and working through his church. At our annual general meeting last Sunday, we shared a video that highlighted all that God is doing in our church through all of you who are donating, volunteering, and sharing in the mission of Willow Park Church. In case you missed it, we want to show you that video now.
That's all for your family news. Thanks and enjoy your service. Good to see you and welcome online as well. We're hopeful that you've already had a wonderful time in the presence of God in your homes, in the watch parties, and it's lovely to see so many people out this morning. The hardcore 9 a.m. VIP crowd. You're all VIP. Yes, thank you very much. Isn't that a great video? Already, that video is like three weeks old. So some of those numbers were probably well over 20,000 people now that have watched online. And um, I'm looking at the dwell gatherings. That was a couple of weeks ago. We're averaging uh, around about 300 people each week. So now it's you know well over 4,000 people. And then all the other stats. It's an amazing church. We have an amazing team. I'm very proud to be part of everything that's going on at Willow Park. And thank you as well for generously giving in order to equip us to be able to do this. And hopefully you were kind of, for those who kind of go, what's church been up to? We kind of, we get very uh, isolated in whatever thing we are connected to. And we think that's the only thing happening. And the kids and youth and seniors and all these other aspects it's alive and well, and so if you do want to uh, give to the church, that money is going straight to sharing the gospel uh, of Jesus Christ to our city and our world, 77 different countries. I, you know, I, name, name seven countries right now. I mean, okay, that's a bit easy, but 77 would be up there. Um, so thank you. Uh, we appreciate that. Okay, so to this morning, I want to jump straight into what I want to share, which is basically a part two with uh, what we talked about last week, which was silence and solitude. And I use the acronym SAS, which for those of you know what the SAS is in Britain, it's kind of this crack uh, military team. And then we shortened it down even further in my house this last week to SAS. And I was like, we don't need more SAS in my house but that's okay. So I hope that you've been able to practice some sass, some silence and solitude. And thank you as well for your encouragement about how that message really spoke to you and encouraged you to spend time with Jesus. And so today is really a part two from last week's message. And so if you haven't listened to last week's, I'd encourage you to do that. You can find it online. But I'm going to jump straight in with a verse uh, from Luke. But he, Jesus, would often withdraw to, uh, to desolate places and pray. To desolate places and pray. And we talked about this word, desolate places, last week. And the quiet place, the lonely place, the place where there is just silence and solitude. So we really jumped into that. And so as we look at Jesus and who Jesus is and what we can do to be more like him, one of the practices of Jesus, part of his routine and regular routine as you read through the Gospels, is that he withdrew and he prayed. Even though he was insanely busy, 
He did it with joy. He enjoyed prayer. So let's just be honest for a second. Just in your own mind's eye, maybe this is something you can talk about as a family over lunch or at some point this week. Is joy the emotion that comes to mind when you think about praying? Now, you, I don't want any show of hands, but I wonder how many of us would say, yeah, I, I just think about getting into silence and solitude to pray consistently. It, it just brings great joy to me. Or are there other emotions? Is it an emotion of guilt? Is it an emotion of frustration? Or, you know, this is just hard work. I, I seem to fail. I know it's important, but I just don't seem to be cut out for it. And we read other people through history who are what we would say uh, prayer warriors, you know, like, oh, well, they're a prayer warrior. They spend hours and hours in prayer every day. That's not me. I'm not cut out for that. I, you know, I got my mind wanders. I'm distracted. So maybe leave it to the kind of the superhero Christians that we read about. Is that really what prayer should be like. And I've preached on prayer many, many times. And today, I'm not really going to give you a deep theology of prayer. Uh, as those of you who call Willow Park Church home, you'll know it's our habit to work through passages bit by bit, word by word sometimes. And this message series is not one of those expositional series. It's a topical series. It's a how-to so I'm not going to jump into the deep theology of, of, of prayer because I've spoken on that many times and encourage you to go and listen to that and read some of the books I'm going to recommend. And, and, but this is what I do know. We all know as Christians that prayer is vital. I don't have to convince you that prayer is important. Even if you are not a Christian and you're just exploring Christianity and spirituality, there's, a, there's, a, it, there's an attractive element to prayer. It's, it's mysterious and hard in equal measures, even though the essence of it is really simple. And so as Christians, what we tend to do is we, we think, well, I'm just not cut out for it. And so we, we revert to things when somebody tells you something that's going on in, your, in their world, you know, rather than kind of shrugging and going, oh, I'm sorry. We always say, well, I'll pray for you. Do we really? Do we really pray when we say that we're going to pray. There's been times in my life, and I'll confess this to you, that, that there, I have read more about prayer than I have actually spent time in prayer. Because we kind of, I convinced myself, well, I'm reading about something that I must be doing it and I'm focused on it. But is prayer part of our life? It, it's mysterious. And yet it's so simple and yet so hard. <laughs> and so we're going to jump into the how. And I want you, by the end of this message, to walk away with being encouraged about how to pray, regardless of your age, uh, regardless of your stage in life, regardless of your history in prayer. Um, one of the challenges with prayer is that we don't live in a culture where we are forced to pray. Um, we have a plan A, a plan B, a plan C, and a plan D, and along the line, in trying to find our needs met. We don't live in a culture or a time in history when there was no plan B. Plan A was prayer. If God did not answer this prayer, somebody was going to die. Somebody was not going to get something they really needed. Something was going to happen that was detrimental to me or my life or my family. Plan A, that was it. Because we didn't have enough money in our bank account to find an answer. 
We live in a culture that says you can be self-sufficient. You are powerful. You are important. You can do whatever you set your mind to. And so we've been taught this, plus the fact our bank accounts are healthier, so we can go, well, you know, I don't need to pray. I can actually just go to my bank account. I can go to the hospital. I can go to a counselor. I can, I can find the answer just by pulling up my own bootstraps. And so we relegate prayer to something that is for the really power, you know, significant disciples. Our day-to-day is actually filled with answers. Uh, because, you know, after all, it says in the Bible, right, that God helps those who help themselves. It says that in the Bible, right? No, it doesn't. Not anywhere. Not even deep in the middle of Psalms in the Hebrew. It does not say God helps those who help themselves. So this idea of you being self-sufficient is actually not true. And those of you who've lived through times in your life where you've been reminded that you are not powerful enough, that you need supernatural help, you will understand that prayer is significant. The Bible will tell you that it is the most important thing we can really do. It highlights prayer and prioritizes prayer to such a level where if we're not careful, we can just look at it and go, oh, there's no way I can get to that level. And yet, we get to talk to God. And God talks to us. Can there be anything more important for us to figure out? Can there be anything more important that we can learn as a Christian is to get into some silence and solitude and pray? And we stand on the shoulders of the disciples, and we've talked a lot about discipleship over the last few weeks, who actually ask the question, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, imagine you were a disciple. Imagine you were there in that moment with Jesus, following him around, observing him, intrigued by him, learning from him, enjoying being around him, being astonished at what he said and what he did. Would this question be the question you would ask him? It's the question that is in each of the Gospels. Lord, teach us to pray. Or would there be other questions? Lord, about this turning water into wine, can we... Can you show me how to do that? Because the possibilities would be endless. You know, just imagine, especially in Kelowna, what kind of winery that would be. You know, it would be by far the most popular one for sure. Lord, teach me how to turn water into wine. If you had one question, what would it be? Lord, I kind of want to walk across the lake. That would be cool. I just want to nip over to the west side. Let's just go for a walk. That would be great. Can you just teach me how to do that? And while I'm on my way over the lake, I'd really like to know how to find money in fish's mouths. Can you teach me how to do that? Because that, along with my winery and my daily walk across the lake, you know what? That would be kind of cool. I mean, all these things are just amazing. And yet the thing that is documented as being the question that they asked Jesus was, how do we pray? Why did they ask Jesus this question? Why this question? Why was this question the one documented in the Gospels? Because I'm sure they asked him lots of questions. But why is this one highlighted? Well, simply, it's that they, they obviously drew a connection. They drew a connection between Jesus uh, and, and his amazing life, his revolutionary life. And they drew a link because they consistently, as you read the Gospels, see Jesus withdrawing. Where's Jesus? Oh, he's by himself. What's he doing? He's praying. 
constantly, constantly saw and witnessed Jesus going off by himself and praying. So they asked him this question because they drew a link. They noticed him withdraw. They noticed that he prayed for a long time. They noticed that he did it regularly. They noticed that he enjoyed spending time with the Father. They witnessed his passion and his fervor. And then they said, you know, they saw him spending a whole night praying about who he should choose to be his disciples. He saw him praying in Gethsemane when it came to the most incredible event, Jesus dying on the cross for those who believe in him, for their sins to be, uh, to be forgiven so they may have eternal life. They saw him praying in Gethsemane and they drew a link. And they said, it's not just about the individual miracles. We want what he's got and what he's got seems to come through prayer. See, Jesus is uniquely qualified to teach us about prayer. Because he's fully man, so he understands what it's like, the Bible tells us, to live on earth today. All your temptations, all your struggles, all your tensions, all your loneliness, and all that aspect of your life that you daily struggle with, whether you're a Christian or you're exploring Christianity or you just landed on this website by chance, all that stuff, Jesus knows exactly. The Bible says that we have a high priest, Jesus, who understands and empathizes with us. So he's fully man. He gets what life is like. And yet he's fully God. He understands the will of the Father. He understands all these God's passions. He understands what's possible through God the Father. He's fully man, fully God. Those two things brought together. And he says, I can teach you how to pray. I can teach you how to pray. So when we look at prayer, we often make the wrong judgments. We make that wrong decision. And we kind of make a snap decision in the moment about what prayer is like. And and most times, I want to suggest as Christians, we haven't got the idea of prayer right. Never mind the mechanics of it, but what actually prayer is. We make that mistake. Uh, So one of the things that uh, I enjoyed doing when I was a teenager is one of the jobs I had was I worked looking after horses. And so I love horses. They're they're great animals. It can be a bit scary when they bite and kick you. But you grow very fond of horses when you look after them if you're kind of a horsey person. We have some people in in the church family who have horses. You'll get exactly what I mean. So ever since I've looked after these horses, I always kind of notice horses. And, and so Pete Hannenberg and I were walking down Mission Creek. If you listened to last week's sermon, you'll know that I probably shouldn't be allowed on Mission Creek anymore. I, I won't tell you why, but I went jogging with somebody who didn't realize they needed a jogging partner last week. Listen to last week's message, you'll hear the story. So this time, I'm walking along Mission Creek. There's a lady on a horse coming towards us. And I'm looking at this horse going, that's a really nice horse. And so, I can't remember exact words. Pete was here, I'm here, horse coming past, lady on top. And I, and I often say, most people who walk past me on Mission Creek, I will acknowledge. I'll say, hello, good morning, whatever. Some people just put their head down and think you're weird, and other people will say hello back. So, I found myself saying, <laughs> as this person on a horse, this lady on a horse comes past, and I said, well, aren't you beautiful? Like that. To the horse. But the lady would have heard that. And then so as I'm walking past, Pete starts giggling. Because then I realize, I've just told that lady, as far as she's concerned, she's beautiful. And so what do I go? Well, not, not, 
Not you, your horse. Well, no, you're very nice as well. Um, oh, and so for a good five minutes, I'm like, I should just never go on Mission Creek. This is a disaster waiting to happen every time I walk. I made snap decisions. I, I, I say things that I don't mean. I do things that I shouldn't do. And, and it's just a disaster. It's better just to actually get the facts. Let's just assess the situation properly. So I'm going to be really honest. I'm going to give you four viewpoints that maybe you have assessed prayer through these lenses. Number one, I don't think God actually likes me much, so why should I spend time with him? Just being really honest. This is a Christian viewpoint too. I don't think God likes me very much, so why would I want to spend time with somebody who doesn't like me very much? I just don't feel close to him. You know, I don't feel him. That's a very common one when you're younger. You know, because there's a lot of emotion and feeling, and, 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 and it's important to feel God close to you when you're praying, especially if you've had kind of, uh, we would, and I don't mean this in a, in, a, uh, in a cynical way, but camp highs, when you have, you go on camp, or you go to a conference, and you really feel the presence of God, and you think that's what it should be like all the time. So it's hard to pray when I don't feel close to him. Um, number three, isn't prayer about getting things I want, things that I can probably get with enough money or effort. Anyway, why? so why pray? You know, God doesn't like me. I don't feel that he's close to me. And I can get everything I need anyway because I've got a good job or I've got great parents who just provide everything I need anyway. And number four, I'm not sure that it even works anyway. I'm just being really honest with you. I know that these are struggles that Christians have as well as people who are outside the Christian faith. These four things are really, really important to acknowledge. And here's the beautiful thing. Jesus addresses each of these in his answer to the disciples about how they should pray. And you'll see it in Matthew chapter 6 in the Lord's Prayer. Let's just read the first part of it together. You can, uh, you can even say it with me if you like. Did you know that, in, I'm, I'm not sure they still do it, so maybe somebody could put it on the chat section. But in, in Britain, every day we would pray this. And I know this was the case in North America for many years. But even as a teacher, we used to have the kids, they'd stand up and they'd recite the Lord's Prayer every day. Every day. Now, you know, they think that God's name is Harold. Harold be your name. But they, and they, he likes doing art because we do it in the King James Version. And, and so it's quite confusing. But I just wonder prophetically how powerful it is to still say that prayer at the beginning of every morning. And then we would pray at the end of every day as well. It's really interesting. So anyway, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Different gospels have different lengths of this Bible, uh, these verses. And this is, not a, this, is, this is a framework, although it is very helpful to repeat this prayer as well in your silence and solitude. If your mind is wondering a lot, these are the type of scriptures that you can repeat to yourself because I've preached a whole series on the Lord's Prayer and you can stop at our. Okay, let's stop there. Let's preach on that for a couple of weeks. Our Father, let's stop there. Let's preach on that for a few months. I mean, it's enormous. It's amazing. But this was Jesus' answer. How do I pray? Pray like this. Our Father in heaven. And what he's going to do, as we're going to see, just in the first verse or two, he's actually going to address those four viewpoints that we make mistakes on. Number one, 
God is your dad versus God doesn't like me. That sounds awfully childish. God doesn't like me. Doesn't like me. I'm not going to talk to him. But deep down inside, we don't want to spend time with somebody where we have a viewpoint where this person tolerates us more than enjoys us. That's not fun times. If you have a vision of God leaning out of his throne with a grimace on his face, waiting for you to do something wrong, or wondering where you are because it's been so long since he saw you last, if you have this idea that God is this grumpy old man in heaven just waiting, gathering angels around, look, look, I told you he or she would make that mistake. Gabriel, Gabriel, look. If you have that vision that God is like this judgmental CEO, then it's going to change the way you pray. If you think he's this angry judge. Now, trust me, he is a judge. And the beauty of Christianity is that when you become a Christian, God looks at you through the lens of his son's death on the cross. And so when he looks at you, he sees the love of Jesus on the cross. Your sin's forgiven. His, Jesus' life on you, your robe of righteousness. And I've preached on this many, many times. That's what God sees you. So he's not waiting to judge you in that respect because you are loved as a child of God. You are loved. You are loved as not being a child of God. If you are outside yet, you've yet to come to a place where you believe in Jesus and submit your life to him, then you are under judgment. But he loves you. Why are you under judgment? Because he's just. And it is not a just judge who allows just things to go by. That is not justice at all. But God does not view you as a child of God. He does not view you through the lens of being angry. He's not impatient with you. God is a loving and interested and engaged dad. In fact, the scripture goes further. You call him Abba, which is like a baby, a toddler saying, Papa. It's just dad, 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 dad. It's that kind of thing. Now, some of you are like, oh, that just doesn't feel right. But that is the reality of your relationship with God because of the death of his son Jesus for you. He's a loving and engaged dad who is acutely interested in all that is going on in your world. Jesus loved to pray. It wasn't like, oh, fine. I suppose I'll go and pray just because that's what we're meant to do. Pastor Glenn made me feel guilty on Sunday, so I've got to go pray. I mean, not because Jesus wouldn't think that. Anyway, never mind. You understand. Jesus loved to pray because he knew it was him spending time with his loving dad. It's an important truth. God is not reserving judgment on you, waiting to see how you turn out, before he loves you, cares for you, is interested in you, and wants to spend time with you. At the same time, he's not some needy God who's like, oh, they won't take any notice of me. Don't think that either. He's perfectly at peace. He's very comfortable. He's very happy. He is a joyful God. And yet there's a desire on his part to spend time with me. He's not waiting to see whether I'm worthy of that. I'm worthy because of his son's death. But while I was still a sinner, he died for me. That he loved me and chose me. He loves me. 
Canadian Mental Health uses this term, it's okay not to be okay, and Matt Chandler speaks about, I like this, this phrase he uses, Pastor Matt Chandler says, God is not in love with a future version of you. He's in love with you now. He loves you now. With everything that's going on, he loves you now. It's okay not to be okay. So as a child of God, through Jesus, God is committed to you. He enjoys and likes you. He, you, you have his attention. You have his time. You have his life, his love. You, have, you are his child. Think of it this way. Because some of you are a bit more cerebral are going, well, if God knows everything, why does he want to spend time with me? And why does he want to hear about my day? I remember when my children were very little, they would go to preschool or uh, in Britain, they call it nursery and reception and they'd go. And and so I'd come home after teaching in the day and they'd run up to me when they're just little, not like when they're 15, because look at the size of them. Um, Like they'd come running up to me and I'd sit down and they'd just jump on your lap and they'd just want to, and I want to know what they've done today. Tell me about your day. What did you do? They're like three. I could guess what they're doing. In fact, I probably know what they've been doing. But there's an enjoyment on the heart of an engaged and loving dad to listen to the children talk. There's a relationship. There's a connection. There's a beauty in that moment. They don't sit there and go, well, dad, I actually want, I've got a list of things to ask you. Number one, can I have another popsicle? Number two, I'd really like a new car. Number three, I really don't like Susie from down the road. Can you do something about her, please? Number four, they don't... I'd be like, wow, your kid's weird. You're spending too much time with your in-laws or something. But, you know, they, they just want to... They're excited to tell their dad it's exactly the same. He is not an angry CEO. How do you foster this viewpoint, though? How do you develop this viewpoint of God? Very simple. You listen to some of the sermons in the last few weeks. You start some of those practices. You read the scriptures regularly. You spend time talking to him. And you will find that your heart floods. Because, number two, God is close. Versus, I don't feel him close. Our Father in heaven. Better translated, in the heavens. Literally, the air. It's not God in heaven, out there somewhere, a long way away. That's not what Jesus is communicating. Jesus is communicating that God is close. He's around us. And the scripture says that. He's above us. He's below us. He's around us. He's he's even in the air that we're breathing. He is present. He is everywhere all at the same time. He is as close to you right now as the air that you are pulling into your lungs. He is that close. That's what Jesus is communicating. And so what is the promise? He is close to you now. Right now, you are sat in the presence of a loving, engaged dad who wants to hear from you. Think about it this way. If you don't feel close to him, think about the times that you are close to him. For some of you, I mean, walking into into a beautiful forest or maybe a beautiful scene, and you're just like, I love spending my sass, my silence and solitude in creation. And you feel close to him. Why? While the creation shouts out the glory of God, yeah, absolutely. But you can also walk in creation and not feel close to God. So it's not creation that is divine. There's something going on in that moment when you are in that place where you feel close to God. What is 
the difference between the moment when you don't feel close to God and the moment you do feel close to God. For me, walking in nature, I, there have been some profound times when I have felt the presence of God, for sure. For me, I like just sitting in my study at home. I have dreams of one day the Lord endowing upon me the resources and the guilt-free attitude to build a true spiritual man cave. Like I want a study old school style. Something, something like this. That's what I want. Look at that. I can just feel the presence of God even as I look at that. I want that couch. That is for me life. I went, look at the wood. Like, you know, this is probably plywood. I don't know. Um, I doubt it. I, somewhere like that. Even better, I, then, then I, I got to confess to you. This wasn't a good thing for me to start looking at halfway through my sermon prep. I'm just going to throw that out there because in half an hour later, I was still looking at man caves. Ooh, that would be good. I'd really feel the presence of God. And I can feel myself convincing, Sarah, do you think we could convert one of the kids' bedrooms into, into that? And then I found this. Oh, look at these old, comfy. That is like, there's a rhinoceros there. Then I noticed there was a gun cupboard, but it was too late. I'd already put the picture up. There's just something about that. What is it? What is it about these special places where you feel close to God? Can I suggest to you, actually, your feeling distant from God is reinforced by distraction. So you remember I said last week, it's not me, it's you, it's not you, it's me when you want to break up with somebody. Can I just tell you, it's you, not God. God's not gone. You've gone. I've gone. The distractions draws away. So in that moment, you're walking through the beautiful forest. Likely, you've got less distractions and you are focusing on the beauty of God himself. You can't do that by looking at this all the time or watching this or reading that or working too much. You need to actually put away the distractions and you'll notice that the presence of God doesn't flood in because he's always been there. But you flood in. You get closer to God. It's very simple prayer, which is why I love the fact that Jesus made it so simple. For me, I sit in the quietness of my study or in that chair that I talked about last week in our bedroom. I didn't show a picture of that because it's not very impressive. No gun cabinets or anything. But um, I sit there and and I just talk to God like he is there because he is. There's nothing dodgy and weird about that. I can find buckets of scripture to say, he is right there. And I talk to him like I would talk to somebody walking down Mission Creek, but it's much safer. I don't get into trouble. Just talk to him. God, I've really struggled today. Today's been a difficult day. Oh Lord, I'm just so thankful for you and your presence. I just talk to him. Like I imagine I'm talking to a close friend because he is. That's the beauty of prayer. It's so simple. It's so, so simple. He is here. He's close. He's a dad. Enjoying him versus versus having a list. You know, it's just about getting stuff that I could probably pay for myself anyway. Think about this scripture. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This means set apart, holy, different. What is it that makes God different? 
Now, some teaching would work on the, the names of gods through the Old Testament, Jehovah Jireh, uh, Jehovah Nisai, these beautiful names that have profound meaning. That's great. Meditate on those. Love that. But when I think about God, I think about what makes him different. I think about the descriptions I see in Scripture, like in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit, or his power, his omnipotence, his joy, his love, his peace, his, his sanctity, his, his closeness. And I think about all those things. And what happens is as I think about those things, I get a sense of his presence turn up. It's like those things become part of my life. His spirit in me gets activated, if you like. And so it becomes enjoyable. We sense his joy, his love, his peace over us. And sometimes we have to fight for it, not for him, but we have to fight for our distractions. We have to get rid of them and we have to just enjoy his presence, maybe spending some moments in silence. But I believe this is why Jesus loved this so much. Because in that moment, God being close that actually wasn't about a list of things that he needed. And Jesus does get to that in the Lord's Prayer. But to start with, it's just all about enjoying him. You are hallowed. And this hallowed, this fruit of the Spirit, whatever else that comes to mind when you think about God, that you can enjoy that in the moment. And Jesus never got bored of it. Number four, prayer makes a difference. Versus, I don't think it works. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Here's the biggest challenge with the idea that thinking that prayer doesn't make a difference. If you want to land on that, then what you're actually saying is what Jesus said here is wrong. All the best with that. Like, he's actually saying when you pray, it changes stuff. When you don't pray... It doesn't change. Now, for those of you, again, who want to jump into the theology of of how is that possible? How is it that we pray for stuff to change and yet God is in complete control? And I am all about the sovereignty of God. I believe strongly in the sovereignty of God. I believe that he is the Alpha and the Omega and he understands and knows everything in between. I'm solid on that. Open deism is not part of my thinking at all. I cannot wrap my head around the idea of praying to a God who's surprised by stuff. I, I I just can't. Do that. And so I believe wholeheartedly in the sovereignty of God. I believe in his plan. And yet I also believe, and this is what I have to fight for, that his plan is that he will do stuff through my prayers. And if you want to land on the yeah buts for the rest of your life, that is going to be a place where you're not going to see things change. Or we can step into the mystery of it and we can say, God, I don't understand this, but I do recognize that the world is going to change, not through social justice, not through more prayer, uh, not through more worship, not through longer sermons, amen to that, and not through politics or this leader or that leader or this president or that president or this changing, not through any of that. The world, your world, your local world, your city, your country, your province is going to change through prayer. Period. And that is the beauty of the mystery of prayer is that is how God has decided to do it. And we just don't think this is true. You'll find that people, I'm going to be very loving and gentle in saying this, but this might be tough to hear. You'll find that people who don't pray struggle the most with prayer as to whether it works or not. Those people who pray are convinced of the power of prayer. Hmm. Why is that? Is it possible that those who pray see stuff change and those that don't pray don't? And so those who don't pray don't pray because they don't see stuff change. 
Pray. It's so simple. God, I need your help in this. God, would you change it? And then persevere in it. And here's the beauty. He might say no, but you will change in the process. Prayer is often about changing my heart, my heart, my mind, my perspective, more than changing the circumstance itself. So we must never let the mystery stop the practice. Never. The mystery is going to be there for eternity. Maybe on the other side, when we get it, we'll go, God, can you explain how this works? And that'll be a good day. But right now, don't let the mystery of prayer stop you from praying. Pray. Pray. Start simple. Can I just say as an aside, prayer is a wonderful way to witness to people. If you struggle with how to share the love of Jesus to somebody, if you're not sure how to take them through the Romans road of witnessing and evangelism and the gospel, then I tell you what you can do is you can say, can I pray for you? You hear what they say and you don't even need to know them. Can I pray for you? Here's the beauty. If they say yes, you get to pray with them. If they say no, you get to pray for them anyway. You're in a win-win. You'll just go, okay. I like winning. That's good. Somebody in our church who told a beautiful story a couple of years ago to me about how they, uh, they were just at work. And... Um, and somebody came into the establishment, and, and they, 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 they heard that this person had been having a hard time. And so they actually just said, can I, can I pray for you? Didn't know them. person spent the next half hour unloading some of the most tragic circumstances you could ever imagine. Just crying, telling one of the Will Park Church family about their life. And then they prayed. What a beautiful witness of the love of Jesus. Rather than going, actually, here's my advice. No, no, no. Just pray. So the mystery must not stop the practice. Maybe make it your aim to pray for somebody every day. That's a good aim. That's a good practice. It's a wonderful gift to be able to give to this broken and confused world. So in summary, he's our dad. He's our dad. I wrote that and thought, that sounded irreverent. And I was like, no, because he's our good dad. That's okay. That's a good thing to say about our God. He's close. We can enjoy being with him. And prayer changes things. So how? How do we do this? First of all, set a reasonable goal. Don't, again, I said this last week, don't put your alarm on at 3 a.m., you know, thinking this is what it's going to be like now for the rest of your life. You're going to pray for every missionary you know and every circumstance you know. You'll be falling asleep by 4 a.m. and then waking up at 8 a.m. feeling guilty and late for work. So set some reasonable goals. Listen to the sermon last week about how that, what that can look like. Identify a time. This, again, is very similar to what we talked about last week. You start with a prayer. Just identify... Um, you start, sorry, choose a place. Where is it that you feel there's least amount of distractions? Can you create a space with no distractions? It's actually pretty simple. And then so you then put away those distractions. You start with prayer. Enjoy his presence and pray some more. <laughs> it's not difficult. 
And I, and I didn't want to make this a difficult process. It's literally you sitting down, quieting yourself, maybe repeating some scripture, allowing the distractions of the world to melt away. And you're going, our Father, thank you, God. And you just pray what comes to your mind. And if your mind wonders, that's okay. Think of that toddler sat on the dad's lap. You know, and they're off. That's all right. Dad's not like, really? Can we, uh, we were chatting a minute ago. Dad, I'm two. Give me a break. You bring them back and, you know, there's moments. It's, it's okay. It's not a drive-by guilting. This is a beautiful opportunity to connect and commune with a God who loves you, is interested, and is leaning into you. He sings over you, the scripture says. That's amazing. I've preached on that before. We talked about what songs that could be. Not country and western. Sorry, Wendy and Grant. Other good songs. Jesus loves you. And this has just been such a gift to be able to give this to you as a pastor because if you spent some time in silence and solitude and very beautifully and simply started changing some of your worldviews when it comes to prayer, then this can radically change your life, your family's life. It has tremendous impact across our city. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you and then say goodbye to those people online. And... Uh, And then we can uh, enjoy our week of silence and solitude and prayer. These are good things. Father, as we just quieten ourselves before you, I just want to say thank you, Jesus, that your death and your resurrection, that you love me, you love so many of those people I love all those people who are hearing my voice right now. And Lord, that so many have come into faith with you. Their lives changed by you. Lord, thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice on the cross that makes that possible. And so, Lord, I pray now for everyone who hears my voice now or some point in the future, that, Lord, there will be a determination and a desire inside to find that time of silence and solitude and pray. That God, that you would listen to us. That our prayers changes things. And Lord, it's a mystery, but Lord, I pray that we would not get hung up on that as much as we would want to be close to you. So Lord, I pray more than anything for this church, just as you said, Jesus, that this house should be a house of prayer. Well, let that be our testimony at Willapart Church. Thank you, Lord. We love you. Amen. Amen. God bless you online. And uh, we'll see you next week. You can register probably right now for next week if you would like to do that. We'd love to see you. And uh, have a wonderful week. And God bless you all who came. Thank you so much. for.